You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 73 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. This is the show for September 2019, and I'm your host, Bart Bujots. Joining me today, I have a panel which may not be geographically the most diverse, but it's a really good panel of intelligent people I'm looking forward to talking to, so who cares about the geography? Uh, First off, from the United Kingdom, we have Gazmaz from the MyMac podcast. Hi, Gaz. Hello, hello. Yes, um, the intelligence bit. Hmm. Well, we'll see about that. I judge you to be very intelligent for what it's worth. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Bart. That's much appreciated. I may be a terrible judge, but... (laughs) (laughs) From... Yes, yes. Also the United Kingdom, we are joined by Nick Riley. Hi, Nick. Hi, uh, hi Bart. Yes, yeah, I'm definitely a poor judge. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, folks, thank you so much, both of you, for joining me as part of your Sunday evening we have so much news this this month. The, the, September is not one of those quiet summer months. September is one of those, here you go, have all of the news. So before we can even do September news, I actually need to do uh, some little follow-ups on stuff that, stories that started previously that are sort of developed a little bit as September went on. Um, so as we recorded last time, the breaking news was Google's Project Zero had found vulnerabilities in iOS that they said had been exploited in wide-ranging attacks for two years. Oh, they were wide-ranging targeted attacks, which is a bit of an oxymoron. But anyway, that's what they said. And they didn't really give any details. And they left, you know, they went into all the technicalities. And we knew that Apple patched the bugs within six days of being notified. But what we didn't know was how scared we should be. Was you know were we likely to be infected or not? Who who was using these vulnerabilities? When? For how long? Why? How? Where? You know all of those kind of questions that ever, jumps to everyone's mind. We we guessed it was probably a nation state actor. I feel mildly smug because I was like, yeah, it's probably China. It, it, well, it was is, is what we know now. So what we what we can now say, thanks to further reporting, is that it was the Chinese government targeting the Uyghur Muslim community for two months, not two years, and they were actually very targeted. So the risk to people who are not Uyghur Muslims is very, very low. The risk to the Uyghur Muslims, unfortunately, was much higher, um, which is obviously not good. Um, we can also place these attacks in a larger context now, which is something Google completely failed to mention, that the although the actual specific bugs were not in other operating systems, um, the... The use of the iOS bugs was part of a campaign by the Chinese government against the Uyghurs, which included the use of bugs in Windows and Android and other operating systems. So this was part of a much bigger attack against the Uyghur community. And Apple released a message disputing some of Google's original timelines, etc. And there has been a fair bit of criticism for Project of Project Zero for basically being really, really, really good at the technical description and the technical work, like superb, A-plus, great technical work. And I don't know how I don't know how you guys' grading systems work, but for me for us the worst you can get is is, is an F. So I, I would give them an F on the communicating the context so that we can actually judge the meaning of what happened. 
Anyone want to chime in on that before we put on? No, I, th- I think you've nailed that pretty much. But the you know the definitely on the context was uh, was where they went wrong. Um, however, obviously, if you were part of that particular community, uh, it's a much greater impact. So, um, yeah, I think we needed uh, from a wider uh, expanse in the world, Google, to have a little bit more an explanation of who, how, and why, rather mm-hmm. than uh, yes, this, this, and this is the technical piece, pretty much as you said. Yeah, and the thing is, from the Uyghur point of view, it, they weren't helped by Google not saying who. No, no, not at all. Not at all. So I don't know who it helped. Anyway, I, I will not judge. My my pet theory is nerds are bad at this stuff. And the pro- Yes. Yes, I, I don't think it was a pointing, look how bad technically you are, Apple, and you don't understand this. Uh, um, we're good at, you know, identifying this. I don't think it was that. I think it was just, as you said, uh, just bad communication processing because it's techs, uh, tech people doing this. Yeah, basically, nerds no talkie good, or some nerds no talkie good. <laughs> some, some, <laughs> some. Well, they either no talkie good or they talk in languages that no one else understands. <laughs> yeah, which I guess is a different form of no talkie good. Uh, yes. <laughs> okay, so our second follow-up then is Apple's long-running court battle with the European Commission over the thirteen billion tax in inverted commas bill in Ireland. Um, so. Apple and indeed the Irish government are appealing the act of the European Commission to the European Court of Justice. Um, that appeal is expected, sorry, uh, it's actually not right all the way, it's not at the highest court yet, basically. Um, it is in a European court, but not yet in the ECJ. Uh, the expectation is that this current case, which got underway, so there were actual oral arguments, the thing got underway this week or this month. It's expected that this bit will take a few months. And then, regardless of who wins, the expectation is it will be appealed, and then it will have to make its way up to the ECJ. So we could literally still be years away from the end of this story. So really, just a heads up that this story continues to roll on. What basically happened is the European Commission decided to invent a tax rate that they felt the Irish government should have charged Apple, because not charging Apple that tax was illegal state aid. The reason for this very convoluted construction is that the treaties of the European Union expressly forbid the Commission from interfering in tax matters because they are a national competency. Countries are free to set their own tax law. So that's why they went about it through corporate, basically illegal state aid. Um, I think I've made my opinion pretty clear. It's a, it's a paragraph by the European Commission trying to go around the treaties but that's neither here nor there. If you would prefer a more unbiased view, um, I would highly recommend an explainer written by the Irish Times, who I don't get to recommend very often. Uh, first link in the show notes under this section is called Explainer. Apple's 13 billion tax appeal has huge implications. It's extremely well written, extremely factual and free of opinion. So very different to my thoughts. Yeah, um, I think we we could have done with some of that over the last two or three years over in the UK, some uh, reasonable uh, arguments for and against certain things. But that's a totally different subject line, which we won't get involved with. Um, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I think that this is just an oddball, um, uh, but I, I certainly don't quite f- fully understand the implications, I don't think. So uh, I may well be taking a deeper view on that uh, Irish Times article. 
Yeah, I highly recommend it. it. It's really, it's it's nice and simplistic, very factual, and it lays it all out in small little bite-sized pieces, because it is complicated, but they actually managed mm. to lay it out in bite-sized pieces. It was a wonderful refresher for me, actually. I did. It saved me a lot of effort. That's good, because sometimes you get far too much uh, lawyer speak on, on these sorts yeah. of pieces. Yeah, actually, their translation from lawyer speak to English was extremely good, now that you mention it. Um, so basically, Apple's arguments are being made by their chief financial officer, Luca Mestri. Um, Apple say the EU tax order defies reality and common sense. And Apple also claims that uh, the EU do not understand their business model. Which, you know, yeah, I can see how they might come to that conclusion. Uh, it sounds a little bit to me. It sounds a little bit to me like um, the. Uh, is this a two-minute argument or a ten-minute argument? Good old Monty Python. You know, some of it is surreal. Yeah. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you yeah, know some of it is surreal enough to get to that level, all right. Uh, our third story then is that government investigations of Apple continue. This is a very heavily US-weighted story this time. Uh, it's been a heavily EU-weighted story in previous months, but the developments that developed in September were very much on the um, American side of the large pond. The House Judiciary Committee are investing Apple regarding competition in digital markets. Congress would like Facebook, Apple, Google and Amazon to hand over a whole bunch of corporate or of executive emails. Um, so Apple is caught up in that, but by no means alone in that. Uh, and Congress have also asked Spotify if they would please give them the details on what they think Apple is doing wrong. So not really news, more developments. Uh, then there was a great big kerfuffle kicked off by the New York Times who reported that Apple's App Store algorithm had been changed so that it didn't favour its own apps. Now, there are two extremely different interpretations of the same set of facts. So one interpretation is that Apple's algorithm was broken, that it was intentionally favouring Apple's apps and that Apple sheepishly did the right thing and corrected their algorithm to stop pimping their own apps. And Apple's line is, our algorithm was entirely natural. It just happened to favor apps because they happened to be popular. And we have now hobbled the search to intentionally downrate our apps from their fair rating to give the entire ecosystem a better chance. I don't know which of those two interpretations is real. Brilliant. Um, probably the best summing up I have seen on this actually is an invocation of uh, Hanlon's razor never attribute to malice that which can be adequately explained by incompetence and when it comes to the running of the app store Apple have not shown themselves to be particularly competent no no uh, then the Washington I think, Post. I think, oh, sorry. Could, I think they they could be caught though moving forward because it, you know if it really goes down the line and they have to show those algorithms and they can. But I, this is such a difficult process um, because you you have to take what's happening at that point in time for those algorithms to to put in place and how you could replicate that to to say oh look it's favoring this or not is, is a very elongated process. This this is this is tit for tat arguments again almost to a certain degree isn't it it kind mm. of is because it's based on uh, you know anecdote mm. i yeah. searched for this and i got lots of apple app, lots of apple apps in my results yeah. okay yeah. yes you that's did because you bought lot yeah that's because you also it, well uh, yeah we, we don't want to get into that argument yeah 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 i mean it, it's very difficult um 
Washington Post then piled on with a story basically saying that it's somehow wrong for Apple to add features into their products that they see elsewhere first. And I'm thinking, how exactly is it supposed to work if if no OS can ever learn anything from anyone? <laughs> so that story didn't hold any water with me, but it, it made a lot of Twitter go a tweet. Uh, next follow-up then is the Mac Pro and the larger US-China tariff war. Um, Apple applied for 15 tariff exemptions for the new Mac Pro. They were granted 10 of them and there was no word on five. And for a few days, everyone was all, ooh, great, stock market up, everyone happy. And then Apple said, oh yeah, by the way, we're making that new Mac Pro in the US down in Texas. And I was like, ooh, great, this is really good. Apple are going to get all of their exemptions now. And then the next a day or two later, the news came that the other five exemptions were denied. So that means 25% tariff on a whole bunch of components coming into those Mac Pros being manufactured in America. So do uh, does anyone know how much of those components are actually included in the product? And obviously what the total impact of that 25% on the cost of those components to the total cost of the product is going to be, of course. I'm not sure that's been pushed out there. If, if anyone does, I am not in that set. No, no, no. I guess Apple do, uh, but I don't yeah, know if they've shared. Of of course. Now that could either be because it's really so small they don't care, or it's really rather large and they do care and don't want to show it. However, um, it's the Mac Pro. It's not one of their biggest earning products. Correct. Yeah. It's yeah. It's it'll be yeah. It's thank goodness it's not like the iPhone. Yeah, and and I assume that this just relates to the Mac Pro then, and not to other components. Which you know that those five tariff uh um, non-exemptions um, well i don't believe there's anything else an apple build assemble in america but i'm wondering whether they're then going to hit with um or unless this is a slightly se- separate story whether they're then going to be hit with obviously importing um iphones from china which have um you know products um manufactured in china well that is a different story yeah mm, um yeah, yeah. not really that's a separate a, se- a separate rabbit hole Pretty much, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, yeah, because they're going to be completely different on the tariff code, right? So, yeah, these yeah. components are the, the, the only 15 that they needed to get clarity on. They applied for all 15, they were granted 10 out of 15. So, you could argue, you know, two out of three ain't bad, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and then the other very much related story is that Apple is investing a billion dollars in India in an attempt to get more of its production out of China. So you know, this trade war is definitely not good news for China in that regard. Yeah, and are they are they doing that in combination with um, Foxconn? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I guess it's Chinese companies becoming out. Chinese companies moving out of China to continue to work with America to it. it, it it's complicated. <laughs> it's complicated. Yeah, it's never a simple world. No, it is not. Uh, simpler is some developments in Apple Card. Um, Walgreens has joined the rewards program for that 3% daily cash, so the daily cash at the higher level. I think that's a fairly big deal. T-Mobile had then the only uh, cell phone provider to join at the 3% cashback rate, so that's a good incentive to get your iPhone on T-Mobile. Um, and Apple are now accepting their Apple Card hardware as part of their hardware trade-in program, so they can recycle that lovely shiny titanium. Or actually, it's quite matte. But anyway, that lovely titanium can be recycled. 
Um, and actually, I don't have it in the show notes here, but I guess it is actually worth mentioning that Tim Cook in an interview said that he does want or that Apple are working towards getting Apple Card rolled out in more countries around the world, but no yes. dates or anything, just a vague intent. Yes, he mentioned that when, whilst he was in Germany, I believe, did he? I, I believe what... that is correct. I believe he was asked it in an interview while in Europe. Yeah. And then finally, in terms of follow-up, the Galaxy Fold, that ill-fated phone, is back for take two. Uh, the first thing Apple did early in the month was cancel all their pre-orders so they could, quote, rethink the entire customer experience. Uh, but by the end of the month, they had relaunched the phone. Um it comes with a scary amount of stickers on it saying what you shouldn't do to it. Um, some of it makes for hilarious reading. Um, the uh, Was it the TechCrunch? One of the two reviews linked in the show notes I, I just made me laugh a lot because it was basically lining out all the things you shouldn't do. And it was things like, you know, definitely don't let it anywhere near your keys. And it's like, it's a good thing we don't put phones in pockets, you know. <laughs> it's yeah it's it's not this doesn't seem this seems to be an extremely fragile and extremely delicate phone um actually the washington post review and uh the, their reviewer basically said if you'd like your stress re- your stress levels raised get this phone because yeah i i i still don't get it Bart. i still don't get it if you've got any product any product doesn't matter what it is if it has a fold in it that's the weak point full stop mm. absolutely full stop and any anything that you've got as soon as you start folding it that that's that creases it goes over you never quite fold it accurately because i can imagine that then you know almost having a method to actually fold it up so that you don't offset it slightly because that could cause a problem as well i i I never got a folding phone from the start. Uh, they have to be; they will have to be so robust. Yeah. And now, Microsoft are also having a go, but not immediately. Uh, Microsoft announced at their recent event that they would be shipping a folding phone, but they would do so for the holiday season in 2020. So basically, they won't ship it until a little over a year from now. Mm. So. And their folding phone isn't going to try and fold the screen, is it? I didn't really spend all that much time looking at the details because to me it's vaporware. Um, uh, right. Uh, yeah, they've, they've claimed it's going to be two separate screens. So. Yeah, with it a very tight more... join, I would assume. Which, yeah, which makes a lot more sense in yep. my book. But uh, Yeah, because a foldable OLED is really cool for those roll, roll-up screens. And that to me is a really good way yep. to deal with something flexible is to roll it, not to yep. fold it. But yeah, well, if, if you know, when <laughs> this is going to sound really odd. OK, so whenever I go away, I, f- I don't fold my trousers into my case. I roll them. Mm. And when you unroll them, then you have very few creases. And it's the creasing which causes the problem. I thought I was the only one who did that. Nah. <laughs> nah. At least I'm not weird. <laughs> or we're both I'm weird. Saying, I'm saying, yeah, that's more like it, yeah. Um, moving on then into some Apple HR and acquisition news. Um, first off, some months lots of people leave Apple, some months lots of people join Apple. This month the balance was definitely in the sodding off side of the equation. Um, Starbucks hired away VP Isabel G. Mate. Uh Disney CEO Bob Iger, well, arguably he did the inevitable as uh, Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus are about to come into direct competition with each other. You could not have... 
Bob Iger, CEO of Disney on Apple's board. So I guess that was inevitable. But either way, he's off amicably and saying lots of nice things about Apple on his way out the door. But nonetheless, he is away. And then probably a bigger loss to Apple is Steve Dowling, Apple's VP for Communications, is leaving with Phil Schiller temporarily stepping in to replace him until a proper replacement is found. Other side of the ledger then, Apple have hired uh, David Smoley from AstraZeneca, where he was a big wig. So basically a big health medically kind of person coming into Apple at the VP level. So again, we points towards the watch's future, I think. Mm-hmm. And then they also bought a UK company called iKinema. And apparently they are big into technology that would be very useful for AR stuff. So again, pointing in a future we think Apple is headed. So with all that out of the way, let us finally get into our main four stories for this very busy month. Um, let's, I've sort of put them so that the one that's easily going to be the biggest time sink of the shiny new iPhones is last. So we have to do all the other ones and then we get to the shiny new iPhones. <laughs> ne- neatly done. Neatly. Yes. yes. It's your main course and then you can have your pudding. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So let's start with our starter then, which is the Checkmate iOS vulnerability. This is definitely was very newsworthy. I think a lot of people didn't quite know what to make of it because it certainly sounds petrifying at first glance. So there is an unpatchable, not an unpatched, an unpatchable vulnerability in the boot ROM inside Apple's system on a chips ranging from the A5 up to and including the A11. These are the brains of iOS devices. So in terms of iPhones, that means all iPhones from the iPhone 4S up to and including the 10 are affected by this. It also includes a bunch of iPads, a bunch of um, iPod touches, but, you know, it's basically iOS devices that have A5, A6, A7, A8, A9, A10, A11 chips. Now, that sounds horrific. The good news is that the exploit requires the phone to be physically tethered to a computer used through its lightning port in order to work. So there is no remote execution possible of this bug. So can, the- I, just, can I just clarify something on that as well, Bart? You can, absolutely. That's a good question. So when you say the exploit requires a phone to be tethered to a computer, does that mean that it's a computer which has got this software to enable it or possibly a hacked machine, i.e. your own machine? Well, not a hacked. Well, I guess it could be a hacked machine. It has to be a computer running the software to trigger the exploit, whether it's running it intentionally or not intentionally, I guess is. It's the point. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Thank you. That is an interesting attack surface I hadn't thought of. So you hack someone's Mac to make their Mac then hack their iPhone. Now, in the days when we all plugged our phones into our Macs all the time, that was a very viable attack vector. Uh, I think you might get me once a decade now. <laughs> and probably because my battery is low. More than anything else, but anyway. Um, the other th- important thing, so it has to be tethered. Um, actually, just to say the reason this thing isn't patchable is because it's in the bootloader and the bootloader is actually burnt into the CPU. This is like below firmware. This is more low level than firmware. So not even a firmware update can fix this. This is really, really, really low down stuff. Now, the other thing is that the, the job of that low level firmware is to check the digital signatures of an OS as that OS is booted. So without 
with this firmware being basically tricked, with this being hacked, you can boot OSs that are not signed by Apple. In other words, this is a method of jailbreaking. The thing is, you have to be physically triggering the exploit at the point of the phone boots every single time it boots. So this is not, if you reboot a device you have jailbroken this way, it will not come up. It will try to boot. It will then correctly try to validate the digital signature, fail because you're not using an official OS, and then it will refuse to boot. It will put up the please plug me into iTunes error message. So you need to have this thing connected to the computer every time you reboot it. Otherwise, you can't continue to boot your hacked OS. Um, And the other very, 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 very important point is that this vulnerability does not in any way affect the secure enclave. So all of the biometrics and all of the cryptographic keys and all of the passwords, etc., that are protected inside that secure enclave remain protected inside that secure enclave. So this is useless if you wish to break into someone's iPhone without their password or face or fingerprint. So what this does is provide an unpatchable, tethered jailbreak. So a security researcher wishing to get full root access to his phone or her phone can do this supremely easily. And no matter what iOS updates Apple bring about, this will continue to work. So ultimately, unless you're a very high value target, this is not something you should lose sleep over. And even then, I, just reboot your phone if you're suspicious. Hmm. Can I can I say something else actually here? You oh, can. It just suddenly struck me. Um, is this not a method, uh, a legal method of a backdoor for those government agencies that want to actually see what's inside a phone? No, because it doesn't affect the secure enclave. Ah. So your encrypted disk is still... Is still encrypted because that's protected by the secure enclave. You need to have a firmware problem in the secure enclave. So what access is it actually giving? The ability to boot an OS that is not from Apple. Jailbreak. Nothing more, nothing less than a jailbreak. (laughs) That's it, fine. Yeah. Now, one hypothetical, right? So let's say you are a really high-level CEO. You have a bunch of secrets that a competitor or a government wants. You go into a country in the airport, they detain you to quote-unquote check your password. Your phone is out of your sight for a while. The phone could be jailbroken behind your back. Extra monitoring stuff could be installed. And they could give it back to you in the hope that you just carry on with life. Now, if you reboot your phone, of course, immediately you will know something has gone wrong. So it's not... It's not the best vulnerability, is it? It's not. What it really is is a really good way for security researchers to get into their own phones and get, un if you'll excuse the phrase, untethered access to a tethered jailbreak. So that's a very poor choice of words, but anyway. Unfettered access to their own device, which they obviously know the passcode to. So it's really, it's actually likely to make regular folks more secure, not less secure. And it's not really likely to to harm. It, it, it's just, it's very difficult to, to weaponize. I'm, I must admit, when this came up around, because it was, I think it was earlier in the month, wasn't it? It wasn't, it was quite early. It was about two weeks ago, I think. Oh, I thought it was early in the month that this came up. Uh, perhaps I was thinking of another one. Uh, this certainly doesn't 
seem to have crossed my radar quite as as much as um as others so mm, i think it's been realized that perhaps it's not quite the danger that um when it first came out it may have uh, been portrayed to be pretty much it's just it does sound a little bit like um uh, you see this problem here it's not much of a problem really <laughs> I know, but suppose the initial... what it does what it does highlight though is the fact that there are still vulnerabilities in systems which are unknown. Possibly, I put I put that in in air quotes, by the way, um, because Apple may well have known about it, of course, and thought that it's not much of a a, a system that they would have to spend a lot of time and and actually too much effort to fix. Which would... but it's unfixable. So if Apple knew about it, so all but, they could do is yeah, be stum. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, but the point is, obviously, it's only, it's unfixable in terms of the hardware. But that's really, yeah. I assume, because the A, I assume that it's not in the A13 chip. Or the A12. Or the A12. So that indicates it's a hardware issue. Oh, well, we know it is. It's in the bootloader. So that means that to the fact that it's unfixable in terms of that particular hardware piece of, uh, of, or yes. that particular piece of hardware. Yeah, so the only response Apple could have if they had found this was to not do it again. There's no way to take it back. There's no way to to bring a fix to existing hardware. The moment it leaves the factory, that is it. It has literally yeah, been yeah, stamped yeah, 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 in. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the initial yeah, so reports, it, right, unpatchable, permanent jailbreak, the initial reports yeah, 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 scared yeah, the big Jesus yeah, out of people. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Okay, um... The second story then is some new services from Apple begin to clarify themselves. So first off, Apple TV, it has not launched yet, but we now have details that we were missing previously. So we now know it is coming on the 1st of November in 100 countries and it will cost $4.99 per month for a family. So this, the pricing here is immediately for a family account. Um, that's frankly the big stuff. Um, the four ninety nine price point, I think, surprised a lot of people. And we should say that you know we mentioned earlier already that while uh, Bob Iger is sodding off, well, Disney Plus is also about to launch soon. Um, and they're bundling Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus for twelve ninety nine a month. Uh, and if you're a D twenty three member, which is some sort of Disney fan club, you get thirty three percent off a three year subscription to Disney Plus. So that's aggressive by Disney, who have a huge back catalogue. So obviously Apple couldn't have gone for a similar price point to Disney's, I guess. It's yeah. The only thing that surprised me was the price. Other than that, it all seemed as expected. So I don't know if, if there's really much we have to say on it. But if we if we thought about it, then was the price considering their current position in terms of content a real surprise um i'm i'm not i, I think it surprised everybody because they know what apple are like but if yeah. they stood but if they stood back and thought about what they was going to be offering then it really shouldn't have been a surprise i think if in 2 years time that price is still the same that for me and they've got great content matching other people up at other companies that hmm. for me will then be a bit of a surprise yeah and the, yeah. the fact that it's family by default is nice yeah yes yes yeah which is a big a big bonus i mean that that's the power that apple have with this the, this whole ecosphere that they've got 
Now, I am hearing something. I, I, I listened to the Matcast this week, and he, he was talking about a streaming service, and this is being rolled out. And I, I couldn't quite pick up whether he was talking about this streaming service um, in terms of films being delivered. And there's something about an EU law that has a, you're supposed to have a certain amount of percentage of, of content which is made in the, the locale. Yeah, so, this is up and coming. So this is a law that will be coming into force. In I can't remember if it's, it? it's 2020, wasn't it? I think it's 2020, yeah. Yeah, I decided to kill it from the show notes because it's too in the future. But basically, okay. all of the streaming services, so Netflix, etc., they all need to reach this 30% goal. This percentage bar, yeah. Yeah, the thing is, no one's decided how you measure the 30%. <laughs> yes yeah that could yeah i suppose yeah that's a story for next uh next uh next year let's put it, it let's really is it. to be honest yeah. because basically at the moment it's like if you have one show does that count as one show yeah so you have then, a, a one episode mini series and then hey presso that counts as one or is it per con- minute and does content mean 30 percent europeans in the film uh, yeah, yeah 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 it's basically it's all up in the air is what it is so basically <laughs> europe have decided they want European content on streaming services within Europe, and they vaguely put a number on it, but that's it. Yeah, if if we round back to this, I, um, for me, I, I'm I still don't think there is enough content on there for me to be vaguely interested at this point. It, well, the argument they're making is quality over quantity, and so I think that what they said on stage was that it's basically the same price as a single movie rental. Yeah, but very good, very good material that doesn't appeal to you isn't going to change the fact that you probably are not going to watch it. No, 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 no that, <laughs> that's obviously know. fair. That's obviously fair. But they do yeah. seem to have a bit of yeah, a range. But, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be interested to. I mean, I've, I have a story around how I ended up with an iPhone 11, but perhaps for another time. Well, in that um, case, actually, sorry, I, I did forget one important thing, and it's in my show notes. I don't know how I managed to see over it. Um, if you buy an Apple product basically an iphone an ipad an ipod touch or an apple tv so basically anything but a mac you get one year free of apple tv plus indeed so i will be giving it a try and seeing what it's like now initially people thought that you could keep doing this over and over again and so some people sort of interpreted this as if i buy a new phone every year i get apple tv plus forever i can i say if they were that small-minded that they were thinking that for sixty dollars, <laughs> I'd, I'd save sixty dollars a year by buying a new iPhone. Wowza! <laughs> well, unless you're the great, but if, think about it. If you have a family, these are family products, right? So if you have yeah, a family, yeah, yeah. a new sure iPhone that... every year is not actually implausible. I, no, I absolutely, and exactly what we do because the the you know the, the hand me down the, the phone goes on the hand me down process. So absolutely, but. As soon as um, I heard someone say that, I just shook my head, Bart, because there's no way that was going to happen. No, and Apple very quickly clarified and said, no, no, no. Each family account gets one free year. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That was funny. Yeah, it kind of made me chuckle a bit. Um, And Oprah's book club is coming to Apple TV Plus and obviously Apple Books. Yeah, I I will be up for a free year's worth of, of... of viewing um i'm not holding back my purchase of a phone so i get a full 12 months <laughs> just for well, i believe it's been backdated but, so that we those yeah, of us who bought new iphones will get our full 12 yeah. months starting yes, on november it would, 1st it anyway have to be because 
it would have to be because they'd get complaints about that wouldn't they so um but the um and it's so i will be trying it out but it's not something uh even at 4.99 and i know it's just a rental a movie rental but it um i don't know about you but i'm not a fan of having uh, a subscription on the back of every other subscription cost every month that's coming out so that's that's where my my hatred mm. of subscription services i'm in two minds because i quite like my netflix subscription i get great value out of it so mm. yeah I, yeah 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 i i think it i think the i think the advantage in some ways the advantage of a subscription service is a little bit like what i've just done so i like netflix too except that i've watched most of what i want to watch and there isn't anything on at the moment that i want to watch so i've stopped subscribing which you can of and course do it- yeah which is nice. Yeah, and when something comes on that I do want to watch, I'll resubscribe. And then you binge it. Like when the, I mean, I am, I've been. That's right. And I'm then on Tentra Hooks here. Get the bloody next series of The Crown out, Netflix. Are you listening? <laughs> Dang, no, but I got yes. so sucked into that despite myself. Because in the abstract, it sounded like a terrible show I'd never want to watch. And someone in work said, no, 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 seriously. And I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. And I grudgingly watched the first episode. And, you know, four hours later, I was like, oh, I should probably go to bed. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> no, that's a fair shout. It's a fair shout from both of you. But uh... so, what we can play with, literally, is Apple Arcade, which has now launched along with iOS 13. So it again, four ninety nine per month for the whole family, so that same price point. Um, apparently, a hundred developers on board with the launch. Uh, and what we now know is that although all of the games are in in game in Apple Arcade are exclusive on mobile. The unmobile is not there for the crack. Um, developers can publish the same games on consoles, just not on mobile devices or PCs. So you can compete with Apple where Apple don't compete. So you, basically you can't compete with Apple. Um, but it's still good. Um, and there's a list link in the show notes to basically a nice page I'm going to put together of all of the games that exist in Apple Arcade sort of broke down into categories. So depending on what you're interested in, you can see what's what. And there is a one month free trial for people to get stuck into if they so wish. Anyone done I am trying. I am trying. Uh, And there are a number of games in there, which I'm enjoying. I'm not enjoying the fact that they're not syncing up correctly with either my Apple TV or my iPad, which gives me a bit of a sad face, um, as I mentioned in this week's um, MyMap podcast. But uh, if I can get that fixed, then actually this is a subscription which I think I can see value in. Um, Though if I can't get that fixed, then I see less value in it. And equally, it means I've probably got to go out and buy a controller for my apple tv if i want to play the games on there well, of course you can use your controller from the console you may or may not have there's now a microsoft xbox controller in our sitting room right and i did mention on this week's my mac that um the only controller uh, the only uh a console i've ever owned was a mega drive so no <laughs> yeah, so there's no console in our house so i don't know why we have an xbox controller i have a feeling maybe xbox controllers work with pcs maybe the better half has one for his pc by the way, he hates the Apple remote, like with a fiery passion. And so as soon as, as TVOS 13 came out, he put an Xbox controller downstairs and he uses it to control the telly. Not to play games, just to control the telly. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, well, I've had a little play. Um, I can't say I'm overly impressed. It, it, it's okay, but I'm not a great gamer anyway. Um, no. Mm. So it's probably not going to appeal to me. I think probably I'll do me three months and then not continue. 
Yeah, see, to to me, if I if I were the father of a collection of young kids, I think this would be amazing value four ninety nine, and all the kids could play lots of games. And I know that they've, they're not you know going to be evil games because they're going to be properly age rated, and so my parental controls will work, and there's going to be no loot boxes and no way for them to spend money. You know, no way to waste yeah. real world money. I if I were a parent, I think I would love this, but I ain't, so I don't care. Actually, no, let me rephrase that. I'm really happy there's an alternative business model which has a genuine <laughs> chance of success because I think that's just good that, that the incentive is no longer to try trick kids into getting their parents' credit cards. Yes, agreed. Uh, I, I also think that a lot of families have consoles and the console games are still going to appeal more, I think, than Apple stuff. But... But there may still be an awful lot of people out there who think it's wonderful. So, because that's the wonder of us all being different, isn't it? Well, it is, and also it would depend on the age range, right? A teenager. Oh, there may not yeah. be many games here that are for the for the cranky teenager who doesn't want to do anything their parents would like. But there yes, may be a lot here true. for a five year old. Oh yeah, or any anything between about five and, and early teens. Yeah, yeah, basically before yeah. they become a yeah, holes. Yeah, briefly. Which we now know is because they actually genuinely <laughs> physically lack empathy, as in they physically, the circuits for empathy are broken. So that's why teenagers oh, act right. like they have no empathy. They genuinely have no empathy. Was <laughs> that true? Oh, I yeah, didn't know that. it's to do with the mirror neurons. They basically, they, they actually lose their theory of mind for a bit and they actually cannot put themselves in other people's shoes. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. It does explain a lot, though, doesn't it? Yeah, I haven't it lost does. That I haven't lost that yet. <laughs> You're supposed to get it back when you're finished being a teenager, though. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> now, the next thing then, story number the third I have here is new OSs from Apple, which we had heard about at WWDC, but they are now real. They are now in our hands or on our devices. Um, and the first thing I want to note is something that surprised me. So Apple released the new iOS and the new watchOS. They also released security updates for the old ones. So if you have an older device that can't run iOS 13, you may now, you got a security update to iOS 12. So those old devices are not dead. Similarly, mm. watchOS was updated for the Series 1 and Series 2. So the Series 0 is still dead, but that's a very old device now. So even though your Series 1 and your Series 2 can't run watchOS 6, they did get a security update to watchOS 5. So again, this is good. Apple is keeping older devices secure. So I'm I'm very pleased with that. Mm-hmm. Less good. Apple appear to have bit off more than they can chew. And I have two lines of evidence for that. The first line of evidence is that macOS Catalina was delayed till October. <laughs> so normally the OS has come out in lockstep so that you have a bunch of features that synchronize between the two and mesh very well with each other, come out together. That is not true this year. Catalina was held back. And my second line of evidence for this statement is iOS 13, which is widely agreed to be the buggiest OS Apple have ever shipped. That the only silver lining people are finding is that these are niggles, not catastrophes in general. And most of the time, just do it again and it's fine. Um, my iPad for a while decided to invert its auto-rotate. So no matter what way I rotated, it was always upside down. Or at least it was upside down on everything but the lock screen. So the lock screen was rotated correctly, but as soon as it unlocked, it spun itself around by 180 degrees and all of my apps went upside down again. 
Well, no, nobody's actually told me whether their airport uh, utility is working on their iOS devices yet, but it doesn't for me. It keeps crashing, and it keeps. Oh. It's, it's been crashing since thirteen came out. Thirteen one came out. I thought, great. Nope, still crashes. Thirteen one one, great. No, still what? crashes, and it's still crashing today. If this is which is a bit of a do, surprise, just... considering that is an Apple application. Uh, it's just you guys. Yep, it's crashing. Because I've just connected successfully to my airport extreme. Yep. It 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 comes on. I don't even I'm not even able to click on any of my uh devices. Oh okay. It comes up. I can see it and then it crashes. Well it's just showed me my device. I've clicked into my device, it's asked me for my password, I've entered my password. And- I, yeah, no, I'm fully in here. Um yeah. apparently I have a fourth generation airport extreme eight oh two eleven N. Okay, sorry, guys. <laughs> but I'm hearing, I, quite... I, I've got to say, though, Bart, I'm hearing a lot of this because I've heard some people say, oh, that's not working for me. And I've gone, it's working for me. So Gremlins everywhere, to... yeah. Yes, there are gremlins everywhere, definitely. And my pet theory, and it is purely a pet theory, I have nothing to back this up, but the biggest change in iOS 13 is the introduction of dark mode. And dark mode is ubiquitous throughout the OS, which means that human beings had their grubby keyboards on pretty much every bit of the OS. And when humans write code, they make mistakes. Mistakes equal bugs. So I think there are bugs everywhere because there have been humans everywhere this time around because everything needs to be darkened for dark mode. So that's my pet theory. Either way, it's it's got gremlins. But what they fixed over the summer during the beta process were the gremlins that caused data loss. So what's left now are just the, God, that's stupid, or... Ah, oh, that's yeah. annoying, but not the, ah, no, you've destroyed my iCloud, which was what was happening to developers over the summer. Like, proper full data loss. Sorry, go on. I, I've noticed my iPad occasionally gets stuck. Um, each rotation gets stuck on occasion. I don't know whether that's one of the bugs, but... Oh, good, it's not just me then with that one. Yeah, yeah, it just sudden, suddenly... I, I turn the iPad right over and nothing happens. It sort of stays in the direction it was originally pointing in. I'm thinking, come on then, give it a shake, you know, nothing happens. <laughs> yeah, that happens to me too, actually. It actually as well as... up. Yeah. Well, the only way I seem to get it out of it is to lock it again, unlock it again, and then wait about 15 seconds. And then it sort of goes, am I an iPad? Am I a pencil? Oh, I should be rotating. <laughs> yes, it's a little bit like that, yeah. It was quite in, it was quite amusing actually because I was talking to Simon earlier, hmm. and uh, we were looking at one of the um, items in his uh, in the uh, Let's Talk App, uh, not Let's Talk Apple, no, Essential Apple uh, show. That's right, <laughs> and um, it was that uh, Beta Nine was out and that they hadn't launched Catalina. Uh, and he said he was just about to say it, and he said, "Oh, he said tens just dropped." <laughs> so. So beta 10, it's still not out. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're obviously continuing to find problems, which yeah. is good. Get them patched before they hit us, I guess. Um, oh, absolutely. Now, they have not been shy about pushing out updates. So iOS 13.0 was almost immediately replaced with 13.1, which was then very quickly replaced with 13.1.1. And then like days later, I think it was two, we got 13.1.2 and there are already betas of 13.2 out there. So... These gremlins are being very proactively fought, but they haven't won the battle just yet. Now, what is more interesting, though, is that 
Apple have continued down their trend of adding more privacy controls into their OS. And um, one of the new controls, which initially doesn't sound like a privacy control, has caught a lot of apps out, uh, Facebook in particular. So apps now have to ask for your permission to control Bluetooth. And the reason for this is because apps were abusing Beacon technology, which works over Bluetooth, to track you even when you turned off location services. And so now, because of this abuse, basically this is why we can't have nice things, now no app can control Bluetooth stuff unless the user says OK. And this is actually frankly fine. So the first time I used my uh, Bluetooth blood pressure monitor uh, with the Withings app, it said, I need your Bluetooth permission. I'm like, well, I'm connecting to a Bluetooth Bluetooth blood pressure monitor. I guess that's OK. I clicked yes once. It has never annoyed me again. But when a social networking app says, hi, I'd like your Bluetooth, that should make you suspicious. Um, I think the best app actually, not the best app, the best um, sort of review on this um, is from The Verge did a great article. Here's why so many apps are asking to use Bluetooth on iOS 13. And they go through all of the legitimate uses, the things that shouldn't set your ooga ooga off. And then basically anything that doesn't fall under legitimate uses, you should be going, why is this app? And maybe you don't need to do that at all. Maybe basically the internet as a whole will pressure all of these apps to stop abusing Bluetooth because they now have to proactively ask you and they can't hide in the shadow. So, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant is ultimately the biggest effect of this privacy change. Mm. What has also changed then is that we have new editing gestures. Um, we can connect external hard drives and they can be picked up in the Files app. And a little one that didn't get any time on stage, but is actually quite nice, particularly if you're in a family. Um, the personal hotspot, there's now family sharing in the hotspot. So if you go into the settings for the hotspot, you'll find a family sharing section. And you can allow members of your family to just be always allowed to use your iPhone to get internet without having to prompt your permission every single time. So if you have a whole bunch of non-internet connected iPads, which don't have cellular or iPod touches, you now have a mechanism where you can give out internet through your one device you are going to pay for a cell contract on without, basically with way, way less friction than you used to have. So it's really convenient to just, you know, to have your other devices just always be able to use your hotspot without, without having to ask for permission. So a nice little touch. And of course, for every version of iOS that's now come out, there is a matching iPadOS, which means that we get nicer multitasking and so on and so forth. And we also get the ability to use a mouse or a trackpad if we go poke around in the accessibility features. Um, I, I don't know what you guys think, but I am really <laughs> enjoying the better multitasking on iPadOS. I haven't actually used it, in all honesty. Oh, Okay. Do you know what I mean? These are so. I think some of these features are things that I'll eventually stumble across and think, "Oh, I should be using that." Um, but they're not immediately obvious, are they? A lot of them. Uh, well, I used to struggle massively with multitasking. I know it's been able to multitask for ages, where you can have multiple apps open at the same time, and I have found it so confusing that I had to look up on YouTube every time I wanted to have two apps open at once. Now, all oh, right. So yeah. I have been using multitasking in the in the past, so I haven't really noticed a big difference. But then, well, I've noticed I, I can use it now without having to go to YouTube. <laughs> so it's got to it's got to have improved. Oh, that's good. Yeah. But, uh, no, I'm not noticing. Even though I've watched one or two um, YouTube 
thing saying all the new stuff in iOS 13. Um, I haven't particularly used it that much. The, yeah, the, the, the other features. thing that's really big for me, or that I'm really enjoying rather, I'm not sure, big is probably the wrong word, but I find it very enjoyable, is that you can pin uh, today notifications or today widgets onto your home screen while in landscape mode. Yeah. And so I have my weather apps and actually my battery app is one I keep up. So I just can always, every time I go to the home screen, I can see the battery status of my Bluetooth headset on my pencil. It's just always there. And I can see the latest radar map so I can see how close the bloody rain is. So I know whether or not to jump on the bike now or if it's okay to wait a while. Um, And also at a glance, how, how many layers I need to not freeze. I think my I think my only concern about it really is um, is discoverability. Um, it's a little bit like the um, what did they call it the 3D touch stuff. I never used it because it wasn't in my face. Well, good news is that's you know what probably gone away. Uh, well, yes, that's true. Uh, but that, do, you, do you see what I'm saying? If, if these things aren't immediately obvious. Uh, uh, some people will use them, but 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 here's a, the a thing: lot may it, not because they don't know they're there. But if you need it, you'll go figure it out. Like if you need to oh, do yeah, it, yeah. you'll Google yeah. it and you'll get the answer very quickly. And the great thing is, you don't need to be a power user to be able to use iOS really comfortably. So the the great you don't need to know these things, which is nice. Yeah, it's it's not a barrier, which is good. Kaz, are you an iPad? Are you a big iPad user? Um, yeah, we do use um, um, the iPads a lot, but it's more consumption than anything else. So um, there are times when I've felt in the past, certainly, that um, I'd like to use it more uh, more PC-like or mm. Mac-like. Um, and I think 13's starting to take us there, but I've not really got... Um, for me, I still struggle... Um, with half the screen being eaten up because I've got one of the older um, mm. MacBook Airs. So it's a 9.7-inch, 9, I think, screen. So I still struggle whenever uh, I have to type when half the screen's being taken up by a keyboard. Uh, and yes. I don't have a, a, a separate keyboard um, because, for me, the beauty of the iPad is its um, mobility. Yes. And then if if you add accessories to it, that mobility point becomes less and less. And I've definitely seen this process at work because I've now got a tablet which has got a, a connected keyboard at work. And it is great, absolutely great. But at work, I'm always having to use either the trackpad or the keyboard with the full screen because I'm doing lots of work at home. Mm. It's content consumption, so I don't need to use that capability. However, there are times when I'd like to be sat in the comfy chair, watching the TV, and perhaps using the pad to link up to my Mac or to do some, you know, typing for show notes. And and sometimes I actually do, you know, work on my iPad as well. But it it, it it's not having that keyboard and the capability to be able to use a trackpad, which is still a natural process for me rather than touching the screen. We've got the touch screens at work, and I, I still find that not a natural process. Um, however, when I've got content that I'm consuming, I find the touchscreen 
a natural process. It, I, perhaps yeah. that's just me. Perhaps I'm just. Well, no, it's not just you because no, I don't believe in hardware keyboards. I be, I have something with a hardware keyboard. It's called a MacBook. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Because yeah, I, I think I, we all I, agree on that. I I am actually contemplating the fact that okay, Mrs. G, she she does. Um, she hates sitting in front of this iMac mainly because the screen's too big for her. Um, and it's like, she has to come to a separate room. She hmm. would do much more on the iPad if it was more computer like. So I, you know, I really am contemplating whether my next purchase will be a MacBook air type machine or an iPad, which has got the keyboard attached to it, which then makes it less mobile, as I mentioned earlier. So it's a bit of a conundrum for myself. Well, the iPad Pro is a lovely device for sort of being sometimes laptop-ish if you want it to be, and mostly not when you don't. Yep. And you can do a lot with that pencil. That may mean you don't need the keyboard nearly as much as you think. Yeah, and I'm trying to use the pencil on my work machine, but really the software is not as nice as I know the mm-hmm. Mac uh, and the iOS um, integration of using a pencil would be. So, so you're on a Surface, I, I take it? it no, it, yes, it's it's a Surface-like, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah Windows hasn't quite... Uh, Windows' insistence no. on having one OS... For their desktop and their tablet, I don't. Agree. Yeah. I never agreed with that. I didn't agree with it the day they did, and I still don't agree with it. I think Apple's no, approach of native OSs is better. Yeah, and some of the applications that try to use the pencil really don't lend themselves to doing that. Yeah. Um, let me see what else is worth mentioning here. Um, oh yes, uh, Spotify is getting Siri support in iOS 13, which is apparently very handy for some people. And then just the last thing to mention, the tvOS also went to 13. Uh, we've already mentioned the game controllers, which is nice, and Apple Arcade, which is nice. Um, and we also have what I'm calling nascent multi-account support. It's there for some things. It's a long way from it being a complete separate account. And uh, one of the problems some people are finding, which particularly affects Arcade, is that you can be logged into two Apple IDs from an iTunes point of view, but not easily from a game center point of view. So when you go to actually save your games, which may be what's tripping you up, Gaz, doesn't work as you expect because your game center account is one account, whereas you're switching between multiple iTunes accounts. So it's they're on the right track here by having multi-account support. They just they're not done. <laughs> right. And and if you if you think about the net Netflix experience, that's quite a good experience because we have a family account. And each of the families logs in to their face when they first when they first log into to Netflix. Hmm. That's quite yeah. a neat way of doing it. I think it is. Yeah, it works very well. Okay, so that then brings us on to our final story, which is the new hardware. Still not letting you get yeah. to new iPhones eleven. Um, first off, the one that got the least TLC, but nonetheless got some noteworthy TLC. The iPad got a little bit of an update. So it has now been updated to a 10.2-inch screen, which is marginally bigger than a 9.7-inch screen. And its starting price is an extremely pleasing $329 for a really quite nice device. That is a spectacular starting point for a really nice tablet, in my opinion. And Apple also made its one terabyte, its very pro iPad Pro, quite a bit more appealing by lopping $200 off the price, which is, again, not a bad bargain. 
I don't know how you guys feel, but basically when people ask me what iPad should I buy, I was like, well, unless you have a special need for one that's extra big or extra small, just get the iPad nothing, as I call it. The iPad. <laughs> no modifier of any sort. Yes, it is very cheap. Yes, it is a good device. No, seriously, that's the one you probably want. And and again, just look at the long-term value that you'll get out of it because these machines will go on forever. Um, and equally, it will hold a lot of its value. And if you find you want to move on because it's not quite the powerhouse that you want or it's given you the taste to go on to the powerhouse of a, a, an improved iPad, then, you know, 329 I think it's a pretty reasonable price, really. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So next up, the Apple Watch. So the Series 5 is a new Apple Watch that was announced. Um, big feature being the always-on display. And it also, from a um, more superficial point of view, regained a ceramic option and gained, for the first time, a titanium option. Um, I think one of the the big eye-catchers is the starting price of $399, which, again, for the... You know, for the flagship product, that is quite a low price. Um, what also they did is they got rid of the Series 4, they discontinued. So the Series 4, the Series 5 is basically the same physical dimensions as the Series 4. So the Series 5 looks like a 4, except for the fact that its screen is always on. Uh, the Series 4 then has been discontinued, but the Series 3, which is basically the shiniest of the previous design, has been retained and had its price cut. So you can now get a really nice Apple Watch for $199, which is an extremely pleasing entry point, I would say. I think I think someone new has has a, a arrived in Apple's pricing department recently because what they're doing here makes much more sense to some of the things that Apple used to seemingly do. Yeah, I would agree mm. actually, yeah. So, I don't so know is if it I'd... worth upgrading so is it worth upgrading from my Series 2 to the Series 3? Yes, that's exactly what I did. I went from a 2... Uh, oh, sorry, to a 2 to a 3... No. Uh, mm, ah, no. Mm. I, <laughs> that's what I wondered. Because I've got a 2. Um, and the yeah. 199 price is at a price where I might be prepared to pay that. But I'm asking myself, is it really worth it for the 3? I don't know. To be and honest, think- unless the watch is giving you some sort of problem... Maybe it's just getting yeah. on and long in the tooth, and its battery is starting just to just wait. Wait until the four comes down a bit more. <laughs> well, the four, yeah. the four, yeah, the four, the five, well, rather, yeah, the five, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. or a second-hand four, yeah, <laughs> or give it a couple of months and get a refurbed five, or a refurb four. Yeah. Actually, a refurb four would be really good because that gets you to the bigger screen. Uh, so, if you watch the refurb store, the fours are conceivable to be in the refurb by now, whereas the five it'll take another couple of months. But you'd be amazed oh, how quickly might, stuff comes that. into refurb because people get these things as gifts. People with way more money and cents. I, I would say you'd need to do an alert, though, to be honest with you, because um, I've often kept an eye on the refurb store for watches, and they very rarely appear. Certainly in the UK, at least. Okay, uh, right. I have a friend who who's he seems to be the master of the refurb store. He always gets amazing <laughs> deals, but he, he got himself a really nice watch a, a while ago. Yeah, but I would say from two to three, no. But uh, um, a three to five, yes, uh, and a a two to four, two to four, definitely, definitely, second hand so, one. Yeah, yeah I, might, yeah, I might have to, I might have to offer you mine then. So. <laughs> You have an excuse, guys, for you to jump to the always on screen. <laughs> and that is the one thing about that that phone, uh, watch rather, which I, I'd, I'd go for. But it's it's 
I, I like I like this watch so much. It's there's no point in me jumping from a four to a five just just to get that always on. Yeah, um, yeah. because there are times when I just quickly twist my wrist and and have a look at the watch, and it just takes that slight delay. Even the four is still pretty. It's pretty good, but it's still there are times when you know I or I'll turn my wrist gently just to take a subtle look and it doesn't come on. So the always on would be absolutely supreme, but um, mm. it's not, it's not enough for me to, to want to swap. Uh, I would say at this moment. Well, as I've hinted at, I went from a two to a five last week. Wow. And to say wow. that was an upgrade is the understatement <laughs> of the year. The bigger screen is new to me and it's gorgeous. The thinner form factor is new to me and it's so comfortable and then the always on is obviously new to everyone. So that, that was a really pleasant change. And it's it's such a nice, and it's also so much snappier than a Series 2 watch ever was. Yeah. It, it is really quite the upgrade. So I am absolutely delighted with my uh, aluminium I, Apple Watch 4, 5. Um, um, I, I always go for the bigger ones. So that's now called the 44 millimeter. Um, but sure, yeah, yeah, it's very, very pleasing. So I definitely think it's an amazing upgrade. And that that display with that clever technology where it, it changes its refresh rate and really dims itself down, it, it genuinely works. I Like the battery life is still, you know, at good. It's still like better than it was on my two. And I now have this always on display, which is genuinely very useful. So, yeah, definitely. I definitely recommend it to people who are on, you know, an older device, particularly the ones who don't have the bigger screen. It's it's such a game changer. Yeah, I'm quite I've got the slightly smaller one um, on the four, uh, the smaller screen, the 42 mil screen, as I suppose it is now, isn't it? It's 40, I um, think. So it was from 38. 40. Sorry. Yeah, yeah 40. That's right. Um, and that I find that more than adequate. I I never wanted a, a bigger uh, I did try them in the shop and in the store and uh, was quite happy with the smaller screen. So apparently I have big wrists because the smaller watches look silly on my wrist. Yep. So I think it is very much to, to each their own because I have many friends who have the smaller one and who would look silly with a bigger one. So it's, you know, whatever, whatever it is, it is. Okay. Any other thoughts on the watch before we finally get to the bit we've been saving up for the iPhones? Yeah. With the watch, it's just going to be more health, more health, more health as uh, as it goes on, I think, through the years. Yes, and in this case, in terms yeah. of the more health, it's our ears that are getting a bit of TLC through the noise detection feature. Well, we get that on the 4 as well, actually. Oh, cool. Okay, so I just wouldn't have got it on my 2. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. iPhones. So, three new iPhones were announced. The iPhone 11 is basically the successor to the iPhone X or dual camera now as opposed to single camera and a starting price of $699 which is not bad the iPhone 11 Pro is basically the successor to the iPhone XS triple camera system with a starting price of $999 so just sneaking in under that $1000 mark and then the iPhone 11 Pro Max is the successor to the XS Max and that has again the triple camera system with a starting price of $1099 so an extra $100 now, what's interesting, again, similar to what we've already talked about with the watch, the original, the older models have been retained, but dropped in price. So at the 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 cheapest brand spanking new iPhone you can buy is an iPhone 8 for $449, which 
for a very capable Good. smartphone is not a bad price. Like that iPhone 8 is no slouch of a phone and yeah. 449 yeah. outright ownership. You know, that's the kind of price that cell companies will give it to you for free with a contract. Like, you know. Then if you spend an extra $100, you get the iPhone 8 Plus, so you get the, the bigger screen. And then for an extra $50 on top of the iPhone 8 Plus price, you get your iPhone XR. So 599 for the XR, which is a really impressive device. That, to me, is, again, very aggressive from Apple and in the same positive way you were saying earlier, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so my, my little story is that... Um... Foolishly, I decided that I'd buy a 10R. Uh, I'd got a little bit of money put aside, and I mm-hmm. thought I'll stre- stretch to the 10R. Uh, a, a second hand from Music Magpie. So okay. I, I bought the 10R uh, a week before the announcements. Oopsie. Uh, and then in, in the announcements, of course, they dropped the price of the 10R below what I'd actually paid Music Magpie. Ooh. Um, which was painful until I realized I was within my 14-day no-cool money-back guarantee. So I, uh, so I sent it back to Music Magpie. And at that point, I then thought, well, hold on a minute. I've just paid more than that for the 10R. If I add another less than 100 pounds, 100 pounds to it, I could buy an 11. So I ended up going for the 11 in the end. I think I was just talking myself into it, really, more than anything yes. else. Yes. Well, I, I think the 11 is a very nice device. So you physically had ownership of that tenor for a couple of days, did you? Uh, or, or almost two almost, uh, almost two weeks, yeah. Okay, so almost you had the tenor. Because it's 14 working days. And now you've had the 11 in your physical possession. So I'd be very curious what differences you notice between the tenor and the 11. Well, at, uh, at first glance, I, uh, yesterday I went rambling and I took some photos. Mm-hmm. I, I think the photos are better. Uh, I don't know whether that's true or whether that's just it my imagination. It should be true. It should be true because the biggest a bit sharper and yes, they should uh, be because and, of... and I like I like the idea that I can zoom out and zoom in and and all that sort of stuff. Um, yes. Uh, so basically, what yeah. you, what I would have expected you to notice would be that the battery life is better and the camera is better because that that seems to be the, everyone's TLDR. Yes, the battery right. life is well. The battery better. life on the Tenar was pretty good anyway, but yeah, I haven't yeah. noticed any. I haven't noticed it worse on the Eleven by any means. Yeah, and the camera is just an improvement because you've gone from a from a much more basic single lens camera with a more basic brain. Because I mean, this is all computational photography these days, so the brain is really important. Yes. Um. So you have the newer system on a chip doing way more brain power, and you now have the two lenses, which really helps that brain to do more because it has more input. You know, more in, more out. Yeah, you you know full well, Bart, that um, there's there's nothing beats lens uh, and having some of course. decent opticals yeah. as well. So that, yes, that is one thing which I'm really seriously looking at. I've been watching a number of photographer reviews on the uh, on the eleven because I, I tend to, while I can afford it at this stage of uh, my career in life, I tend to upgrade each year and we have a handy hand me down process, which means the phones tend to stay in the family for about four or five years before they then either get sold on or sent back to, to Apple. Um, it's pretty good. Yeah. Recycling. It's, I think that's pretty, pretty damn good actually. Yeah. Yes, for, yeah. For a device. So it gets its, its value certainly. Um, 
so I'm certainly looking. I, I would normally have uh, jumped straight in at release date, but I haven't done this year. Um, but I have been doing a lot of reviews um, or looking at a lot of reviews on the camera. And I think that uh, it certainly is impressing a lot of people. So you know, are you thinking pr- 11 or 11 yeah, Pro? I- no, no, I would go now. I would go 11 because actually one thing that I have talked about many, many times is the fact that I, the 10R, I love it, but it's just a tad big. I would prefer a slightly smaler phone. And well, that's that 11 Pro. Is, um, yes, correct. Correct. So I'd have to go from my XR to the 11 Pro rather than the 11. All um, oh, right. Uh, so there are a couple of things which means I'm leaning towards the 11 Pro rather than the 11. Well, you get um, the third camera, which if if the camera is one correct. of your inspirations, that you know, Absolutely. so having wide, ultra wide, and telephoto is extremely nice. And what I'm hearing is that telephoto is sort of close to similar to a 50 mil lens, and that yes. uh, for me is yeah. a big tick in the box for that. Yeah, it's camera. 52 mil um, equivalent. Yeah. Yeah, that's as I say, that's a big tick in the box. So, and with the you know computational, I've seen some pictures that people have taken and then zoomed in with the computation computational power of is it f- cold fusion? Well, we haven't got cold fusion. We haven't got fusion yet. That's coming in a no. software update later in the year. What we have now is night mode, which is magic. No, I think I, I think I've seen somebody who who's seen it on a beta. It, yes, it was released this week in the beta of iOS 13.2. Yeah, so I've seen somebody take a picture of that and I'm thinking, wow, so that, that I am really leaning towards those. I think if they have, um, I think for me, I was thinking, no, the 10 hours per business, there's no way that I'll, I'll be going in. I'll perhaps buy one of the small cameras and then have that straight to the lower family um, level, as it were. But no, I think um, I think they've hit the uh, the ball out park again. Yeah. Well, I jumped into the 11 Pro. Um, I went for the midnight green option um, on the 11 Pro. So I was coming from an iPhone 10. Uh, so not a 10s, but a 10. Uh, and again, the 10 has been handed down. That that device has plenty of life left in it, which means my my darling beloved now is having his first ever FaceTime experience and is in love with his new phone. So, the, you know, that iPhone 10 is, is plenty of life left in it yet. So I've gone to the 11 Pro in the midnight green. And the first thing to say is that I was hoping the midnight green would be subtle rather than garish in, in your face. And I am happy to say it is subtle, uh, but very pleasing. So I'm happy with that. And really, it is about the battery life and the camera. Um, other than that, it, like, particularly the front is very, 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 very like the iPhone 10 experience because there are no bezels. So really, it is just a screen. It's just a screen you have in your hand. Like So it's mm. just a screen you have in your hand. Um, marginally thicker, marginally heavier in exchange for that extra battery life. Probably the most noticeable thing, because I was one of those rare, rare people who was a heavy user of 3D Touch... I genuinely have noticed that I'm now having to change my habits because it's haptic touch as opposed to true 3D touch. But you know something, a week on, I'm over it. I'm fine. I would have liked it if Apple had been able to make 3D touch exist on their entire product line, would have been actually bought in by all developers and would have lived up to potential. But the simple fact is, hardware-wise, they were never able to make it work on large screens like the iPads. Therefore, it was always going to be a niche feature and frankly, now I can do the same thing on my iPad as I can do on my iPhone. Do you know something? That's actually kind of nice. 
Yeah. Mm. Do you know the thing I um the thing I'm enjoying most really is that in the last month I've effectively gone from a seven plus mm. to the eleven. So you're noticing um, speed. I'm noticing speed. I'm noticing. Uh, I'm loving Face ID. I didn't. Oh, I didn't realize yeah. how much I'd like it, but <laughs> but I really do. It's magical. It's, brilliant. it's the fact that your it phone is. has. You know, I have mine set up not to show the content of messages unless the phone is unlocked. So my phone on the yeah. desk will light up and it will say, "You have a new message," and then I look at my phone and then it decrypts as soon as it recognizes me. I think that's fabulous. It's just like, oh, the phone knows it's me. Shows me my message, doesn't bring me into the home screen, just shows me my message and I put the phone down again. It's wonderful. Yeah, and just logging into stuff by just looking at it is just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, one password it's, with it's Face magical. ID is a definite win. Uh, my banking app also oh, yes. uses, yeah. um, uses biometric supporting. So again, I just look at my phone and it's, it's fine because I, I think there's a new EU directive has come into force. So all the banks are being forced to do two-factor auth. And... Yeah. That would have been a lot more painful before the days of Face ID. Actually, the great thing is that I can use, uh, my bank actually has integration all the way to the watch. So I can approve money transfers on my wrist, which is wonderful, uh, which is oh, tapped up. And I go, oh yeah, confirm. It's, just, it's brilliant. So I'm really enjoying that. That's cool. Um, we should mention that I'd fix it, I've torn it apart. Um, basically, the reason it doesn't have 3D touch is because now it has all that space filled with battery. There is also a whole big kerfuffle, not a kerfuffle, a conspiracy theory-ish, that uh, this thing has the hardware for bilateral charging. I think the balance of evidence is no, it doesn't. Um, iFixit found some extremely circumstantial evidence, which other people have now said, no, that it, it doesn't mean what iFixit think it means. They didn't actually find any direct evidence of actual charge circuitry. They found things that maybe could be useful for something which could charge, but they found no direct evidence, and it seems that it does not have the hardware. Um, the other thing we know from really scary-looking drop tests is that this thing is actually really quite rugged. I mean, it is still destructible, but it takes a fair bit of effort. Yeah, That's I'll, good. I'll, I remember... Uh... Oh, sorry. Go on, Gus. No, no, no. I was just going to say, actually, oddly, that they are getting stronger and stronger, these phones. Um, I mean, it's coming to the end of my time with the phone. I'm generally really uh, careful with it. But this 10R has been dropped naked. Not mm. me, by the way, the phone. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Gus. From, from, from a height. And it's hit the corner, which is, ee, that's the wince moment. It is, a, yeah. On a concrete floor. And... It's it's scuffed the bezel, um, but no more. So they are making these things stronger and stronger all the time, definitely. Excellent. That's good. I remember going into um, uh, can, uh, can uh, I just can I just put sorry to jump in. Sorry to put a proviso there. Don't test that, please. No, that's what other people do with their money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't blame you. Um yes, I remember going into a um, our local um uh, Apple. It's not Apple. It's I can't remember what I'd gone in to buy, um, and uh, it might have been a it might have been a cover. Mm. And he said, uh, "Do you want a screen protector for that?" 
And I said, no, I never put screen protectors on them. And there was a woman standing at the other end of the counter. I've never heard such a loud, sh- a sharp intake of breath. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I'm really careful with my phone. I, I put it in my one pocket. I never put anything else in that pocket. <laughs> so I, I don't buy screen protectors. And, I, you know, so far, touch wood, I've not had any problems. But, uh, but yes, it was just her reaction that made me laugh out loud, really. I, she I obviously different... doesn't take quite, quite the care of hers that I do of mine. Yeah, there's different kinds of people because some people have their phones in, in like these rugged cases and screen protectors everywhere. And it's like, well, you know, I drop my phone five times a day, so I have to do this. And I'm like, yeah, yes, yeah. But I don't, which is why my iPhones have been naked for years. The only time I ever had a case on my phone was when Apple gave me a free bumper case because of Antenna Gate. And then I was like, yeah, yeah. I don't really care about that. And I, as soon as that case wore out, I didn't replace it. And strangely enough, my reception was fine. Oh, for these last two, I bought... Um... Uh, like a you know a gel um, clear case, so that because they're I decided both of them were going to be red, so uh, I wanted the, to show that off. So. The the only reason I think for a case is for its less slippiness on a desktop or on a top. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, um, this we, this matte finish is less slippy in the hand. I don't know about on surfaces, but in the hand, it's less slippy than previous models. Well, we actually had, um, we changed to iPhones at work some years ago and the, 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 the seat, no, the, the CFO, um, basically, uh, bought a load of, um, or put an order in, got the IT team to put uh, an order in for cases, very sticky cases, because so many phones were being slipped and falling off tables and desks right. and crashing and breaking. And the cost to the company on screens was giving him heart palpitations. So we all had to use one of these uh, uh, these cases, which uh, were extremely sticky, actually. You could put it on to the desktop and it, the force that you'd have, to, <laughs> it almost went in completely the other direction. You could almost put it on a wall and it wouldn't slide down the wall. <laughs> it was incredible. It was incredible. Indeed. Um, yeah, just the, the, the other bit of hardware that's in these these iPhones 11 is the U1 ultra-wide bandwidth chip, which allows very good directionality on Bluetooth-like connections. And this, I think, is our sleeper feature, because clearly this mm. is for those rumoured tags or something like it for the new Find My feature. So I think we're just going to have to keep an eye on that. I think that is the absolute sleeper in these phones is that U1 chip. Um, yeah, I, I think I think that's that's a sleeper for a lot of um, Apple products coming out in the future, Bart, as well. Yeah. Um, you know, all of your um, um, earpods, not earpods, AirPods, mm. uh, any, all, any devices actually, I think are going to have these things in and it's uh, it's definitely a sleeper feature. Yeah, because right now I believe literally the only use that chip has is that when you're doing um, the air sharing thing, you point at the person you want to share to and it'll pick up the fact that you're pointing at them and it'll pop them, make them bigger in the screen so that they're easier to select, which is nice, but there's so much more power in that technology. Okay, um, I am going to wrap us up on the main stories. Just a few quick stories to rattle through before we call it a day. Um HomePod has gotten support for live radio stations, but uh, there are multiple different aggregators for live radio and Apple haven't partnered with all of them. And the biggest effect of this is that if you are a United Kingdom person, many of the most popular BBC stations will not 
works through your HomePad, which is disappointing. But you can make mm. up for your disappointment by getting Apple News Plus, which is now available in Australia and the United Kingdom. Apple have also launched two new repair programs. You can now get your screen replaced on aluminium Apple Watch Series 2 and 3s if it does this weird thing where the screen basically cracks in a big 360 circle. And iPhone 6Ss, which fail to turn on, also have a repair program to help you out if you fall victim to that. Apple have launched... Is that opposed to a... Sorry, is that opposed to a 180 degree circle? Well, it, it's kind of weird. Like, cracks generally go in straight lines, right? But this is a crack that runs around the bezel. Yeah, right. I was just being facetious. Sorry, Bob. I know, but actually it's a good point because it is a weird thing to say. But it, I didn't get yes. it for <laughs> Um, Apple have launched a web version of Apple Music. So there's now a web player that you can use to listen to your Apple Music subscription on random PCs, I guess, which is convenient-ish. Apple are continuing their health push, launch of three new studies, one into hearing, one into heart health, and one into menstrual cycles and reproduction. Apple Care got a bit of TLC. You can now get Apple Care Plus on AirPods and Beats headphones, which you couldn't get before. You can also now get your Apple Care Plus as a monthly subscription. And you can now get Apple Care Plus after the initial Apple Care expires and continue to buy month by month until Apple stops supporting the device. So if you want more Apple Care for longer, you can now get it by moving over at the end of your three years or whatever to the month by month option for as long as Apple keep offering it for your piece of hardware. I've actually felt the desire to pay Apple for continued Apple Care Plus. This this made me very happy. Uh, there is now a billing grace period in the App Store for subscriptions. So if you're subscribed to something and your subscription fails, you won't just immediately lose everything. There is now a grace period. The length of the grace period depends on the frequency of the subscription. So the grace period for weekly subscriptions is short. The grace period on annual subscriptions is really quite long. Very sensible, just a smoother experience for when you inevitably get new credit cards and you forget to change your billing thing on iTunes like may or may not have happened to me last week. Um, it, it's just an easier way to do these things. Yeah. And finally, just a little roundup of some news and Apple's continued and ongoing uh, sort of social responsibility efforts. Apple-backed Chinese Clean Energy Fund has invested in three very large wind farms. Apple have teamed up with Con- Conservation International to save African grasslands. And the uh, UN Climate Action Award has gone to, or uh, the UN have given Apple a Climate Action Award for their work on combating climate change, which is nice. And Tim Cook and Deirdre O'Brien have filed an amicus brief on behalf of Apple uh, to the US Supreme Court to protect the dreamers by holding up DACA, which is the something, I forget what the acronym stands for, basically don't deport kids who came to the country before they were 18. Oh, uh, yeah. And they weren't criminals. That's that's also a big part of DACA. They have to be like, you know, upstanding members of society, yada, yada, yada. Finally, mm-hmm. finally, Apple have scheduled their fiscal Q4 2019 earnings call for October the 30th. So add that to your calendar if you care about such things. And you know that we will be talking about it in the next show. Folks, thank you ever so much, both for giving so freely of your time on a Sunday evening and also for being only three minutes out from my target of finishing up by half six. I am (laughs) darn impressed. So am I. Because, yeah, as you mentioned, the scroll bar on the show notes is a little bit on the the, the, the small side. (laughs) 
Uh, I should mention. Yeah, Gaz, Gaz did say we we mustn't talk too much before the show. <laughs> ah, that was before I made it on because I, I was busy getting my exercise in before I recorded it with you guys. Uh, which again, much easier with a Series Five Apple Watch, where I can always see how I'm doing in terms of calories and time without having to raise my wrist and you know be cycling one handed. That has oh, that's true. It's a safety feature. That's my excuse. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I mentioned show notes. You will find them at lets-talk.ie. While you're enjoying those detailed show notes, you may notice a sidebar heading that says support the show. This gives you mechanisms for supporting the practical aspects of the show, i.e. money, frankly. Um, There are bills that need paying. I am not in a position to pay for them out of my personal funds. So this show exists for one reason and one reason only. You people, the listeners, support me to the point where the show is at approximately break even and now really the the big hope is it goes a little bit higher than break even so I can invest in software and hardware because they inevitably break um I'm a user of the Levelator which is a free 32-bit app so I am well aware that when Catalina comes out I am going to need a replacement for the Levelator and so far it would appear that my choices are commercial software so I I'm going to need to spend some money on that. So it would be nice to have a little bit of spare. And of course, you know, mics have a finite life. And although I adore my current boom arm, I imagine those springs will someday stop springing. And, you know, I recently improved the audio quality of the show by investing in a copy of an app called Loopback at Alison Sheridan's suggestion. That was very, very kindly paid for by a listener. And it just, you know, these little things help. So we're now at the stage where you guys support is not just breaking even, but allowing me to make things a little bit better, which I genuinely do very much appreciate. So there is a Patreon link, which is a way for you to pledge a certain amount per show. There will be two shows a month, so if you'd like to give me $5 a month, pledge $250. There is a PayPal button, very self-explanatory. If you want to make a one-off donation, click the button. PayPal is not good for small amounts because of the way their fee structure works. Patreon is great for small amounts because of how their fee structure works, hence both of them existing. And finally, if you're the kind of geeky, nerdy person like me who registers domains and runs virtual servers and things, there are affiliate links for DigitalOcean and Hover.com. And if you buy what you would be buying anyway using those affiliate links, I will get a little thank you from both of those companies. In the case of DigitalOcean, you get free stuff as well as me, which is a nice touch. I'm afraid that is not true of the Hover one. Okay, so with all that rambling on, folks, do you, would you like to give out some links to our dear listeners? Um, Nick, would you like to go first? Yes, short and sweet. Uh, Spligosh on uh, Twitter, S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. Uh, and you can hear me on Essential Apple. Uh, as, as Simon was pointing out, it'll probably be after you hear this show. <laughs> well, you should week, subscribe, right? It, the, the, the essential app. Well, of course, yes, it'll pop into their uh, it's pop into their uh, feeds, won't it? Yes, so, I mean that uh, show is so much more regular than this monthly show. So you know, definitely subscribe. You might even hear me. Um, I was I was on there just last week. In fact, um, fun show. You were, yeah. It was good to hear. Yeah, I had a lovely conversation with Simon. Actually, it was odd to have him in the driving seat, but either way, it was fun. It was a good show. <laughs> Uh, Gaz, this is very incestuous because all through all of these podcasts we're about to mention, we are all part of the MyMac Podcasting Network. So that goes for Essential Apple, that goes for this show, and it also goes for your show, Gaz. 
It does indeed. Um, Guy and I do a weekly podcast called on the MyMac.com uh, website. So it's the MyMac podcast been going for some considerable time. We are the most recent owners, although we have been quite long-term owners. So Guy and I do it uh, weekly where we can. Although this week, Guy is away and uh, I brought Mr. Carl Madden along. So uh, you can hear us doing our normal ramblings and uh, tangential changes as we talk about apple and Excellent. Uh, all, all things sundry yes and you guys are the og of the my mac podcasting network being the my mac podcast <laughs> yes <laughs> okay folks thank you very much uh reminder show notes at let's i've been your host bart bushatz you can find me at bartb.ie and until next time happy computing You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. On the MyMac.com podcast. And how could they contact you, Gaz? (laughs) (laughs) For those who don't speak parrot, that's Gaz at MyMac.com, G-A-Z at MyMac.com. And you can also reach him. On the Twitters at twitter.com forward slash gazmez, G-A-Z, M-A-Z, and we have a combined Twitter account, which is twitter.com forward slash guy and gaz, G-U-I-A-N-D-G-A-Z. <laughs> and if, if you wanted to let Fearless Leader know that you don't speak Parrot, you can let him know that by sending an email to feedback at mymac.com, no Zed. You're listening to the G-Men.